one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, my friend, and welcome back to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. If you're a regular listener, welcome. If you're listening for the first time, I know there were lots of new ears on the podcast last week because lots of people were looking for an explanation, I suppose, of what was going on uh, with the whole RTE debacle. So if you're someone who's decided to come back for another episode, I want to say an extra special thank you. Thanks for joining this great group of people. Um, We have a great time. We really do have a great time every week catching you up on uh, what's going on. Hope you had a good week. I I have never, I don't think ever been so happy to see the back of a month. I had so much fun in June, but it nearly killed me. It was just, you know, when you have a sequence of fun events, please ignore my laptop there in the background. When you have a sequence of like really fun events, like stuff that's great, like you would never complain about it. It's brilliant, 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 but they are all they all have to be at the time that they are and they're all close together and you're like oh my god will I survive this that was June for me started it in Barcelona at Primavera ended up at Madrid Pride um for my friend's 40th birthday so I am so happy now (laughs) to be heading into some downtime and family time and a little bit of chill out because I just cannot operate at that pace anymore I'm not when you've got kids at home and you know you you, you're trying to keep all the plates spinning. It's just impossible. So yeah, great week, great time at Madrid Pride. Would highly recommend. Apparently, I think it's one of the like, maybe the biggest pride in Europe. Someone said that to me while I was there. I haven't Googled it. So, you know, don't quote me on it. But um, really, really, really lovely vibe. Nice people, good fun. And um, would definitely recommend it as a trip. If you wanted to get away, um, and Madrid itself is really beautiful, would not recommend the open top bus tour. Didn't find that to be particularly good. Usually love an open top bus tour, um, but the Madrid one I, I wouldn't particularly recommend. But other than that, an absolutely brilliant time. Um, this week's episode is going to be a little bit long because we had a lot to go over, obviously, in news because there has been so much more development um, with the RTE story. So there's a good chunk on that at the start of the news. But we're back to our usual structure. So what you're going to hear today is you'll hear our news catch up. Then in the middle, 
I had a chat with Sinead O'Carroll this week. Sinead is the editor of the journal.ie, but she's also a lifelong sports fan. And she and I were at an event for the Irish women's national team ahead of them heading off to Australia for the World Cup. And we were both just talking about how amazing it is and, and how emotional it is. Because when you know the context and you know the history of where women's football has come from, you know, you understand why it's such a big deal. Um, so if you're someone who hasn't really clicked into the World Cup yet or you know doesn't particularly feel connected to it I like beg you to, to listen to the chat between me and Sinead it's not a big like sports chat it's more about the culture it's about equality and it's about you know caring about women and women's well-being and women's options in life and um, which I know are things that you care about if you listen to this I was about to say website. This isn't a website. If you listen to this podcast, um, I loved this conversation and I hope you do too. Then of course, later on, we will catch up on the celebs, Kyle and Mauricio. What is happening? But for now, let's get right into the news with Aoife Moore. Aoife Moore, we are back in your humble abode. It is a delight to be here with you. Um, we have got lots to talk about. And once again, we will have to start with our national broadcaster, Radio Telefisheren. Um, thank you, by the way, to everyone yes. who gave us amazing feedback on our chat last week. We were both nervous about it. We really wanted to get it right and mm -hmm. make sure that we kind of added a shed a bit of light, I suppose, on the situation. And it was really lovely to hear that many of you found it helpful. Um, yes. So it is the first story we have to talk about today because it hasn't moved anywhere from the headlines. No. It is still the number one story happening in Ireland at the moment. Yeah. So on Wednesday, RT were back in front of the Aractus Media Committee and it started with a bang. Basically, the chair of RT, Shuan Nirahili, told them in her opening statement, there was an evident pattern of inconsistency and a lack of completeness. And it is well, high, there is a high probability that more information will emerge about the broadcaster in the days and the weeks ahead. She said that she, as the chair, was finding it hard to get information. The committee, yes, we'll start with the committee yesterday. The committee yesterday wasn't as bruising as the two last week. However, we did get a lot more detail because an absolutely huge stash of documents was handed over to the committee um i would say very late at night mm. um and were not given proper it was 52 pages and they were not given you know, proper time to read over it but in it was invoices from noel kelly there was the we now find that the zoom meeting where it was just a verbal agreement by d forbes that ryan tuberty uh, his deal would be underwritten. We now find there was a letter and mm. the letter was included. Um, so his contract was included. We then found out from the, there wasn't just, we we heard last week there was one barter account. Now it looks like there are three barter accounts. They, on a technicality, RTE say it is just one barter account, but there's three companies involved in it. Mm. We heard absolutely mind-blowing details about the commercial deals and the money that was spent. 5,000 euro were spent on Javiana's flip-flops. That's the one for me that is the hardest <laughs> to get your head around because this was for a, a, a commercial summer party, summer party for party, clients, yeah. right? And let's just from the outset say it makes sense for Ortiz's commercial side 
to be doing corporate entertainment as yes. part of their work. And they pointed out that they have made over a billion euro. 1.6, I think it yes. is. Yeah. Over and a billion euro in the money that comes back to them yeah. after these commercial events. And less than 1% of, of that 1.6 billion euro has gone toward this kind of commercial socializing. I think if you're someone who isn't in an industry where this kind of stuff happens, it sounds completely insane. Yes. You're like, why would you be bringing people to a gig? Why would you be mm-hmm. bringing them to the Rugby World Cup? Why would you, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the reality is this is how the game is played. It's how it's played across the board and if Orti mm-hmm. want to compete commercially you know and they are partially a commercial organization Which this is, is part of the course day, yeah. yeah exactly and yeah. all of this can be looked at in terms of industry standards and all the rest mm-hmm. but the reality is this kind of thing is totally normal yes. for this kind of company the Javianas cannot be defended because the why Havianas- could they not Go to pennies as all of the rest of us why do don't, why and don't, buy a one euro pair. Why didn't they go down the Murray Street and buy a load off a, a off a sailor down there? It listen, this and it, it stands in stark contrast. So we'll we'll come back to the sandal scandal, but five thousand euro on Havianas, thirteen thousand euro on tickets for Ed Sheeran. Where have we gone as a nation? <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, I will totally allow the Rugby World Cup. Buying football tops for clients, like thousands and thousands, a, a membership to the Soho House in London so yeah, they but, could hold meetings. But hang when on. we hear, when we hear that during Brexit, RTE closed their London office and Fiona Mitchell, the London correspondent, was doing radio reports from toilets in cafes so she couldn't even avail of the Soho House membership to go on to a workspace there and do her reporting. Well, yes, and obviously that's not right, but... The Soho House membership was owned by the commercial team. Yes. Like, you know, I just, I think the Soho House thing is something that like, you know, they were, they were giving them so much shit about it yesterday. I watched the committee hearings and like, I personally think that of all of the information that was revealed yesterday, a 2000 euro on a Soho House membership is not something that I would be annoyed about because mm-hmm. the reality is that is where a lot of media meetings take place yeah. in London. It is where a lot of media socializing takes place in London and two grand in the grand scheme of things is it's nothing not a for no. a workspace. But the issue is, and it, this is what it keeps coming back to is that you're you know so look at the state broadcaster in the north we have the bbc there's no ads on the bbc there's no commercial side to the bbc and this is where things get very muddy now because rt is a state broadcaster but also has a commercial yeah element and the reason for that that everyone needs to keep in mind is that the bbc is broadcasting to a population of however many millions millions, millions yeah. and millions and millions and millions of people who pay their tv license fee and we as a like in very as a country, country are very small there are not that many people and so therefore the amount of money that we pay in tv license fees or broadcast fees or whatever it's the fuck we're going to be calling it is a lot less mm-hmm. and yet the expectation is that the national broadcaster operates on the same or mm-hmm. similar level to somewhere like the bbc so that's why the mm-hmm. BBC and Orti are different. That's why Orti currently also is a commercial organisation because it literally could not be funded from the licence fee. And that's not because of fiscal irresponsibility. It's just because of literally yeah. the numbers. Yeah. So we also heard from this committee that Toy Show the Musical was... It wasn't a, a flop. It was an unmitigated disaster. But did we not all know that already? I thought we, we did, already knew but that. But I don't think the numbers were as stark. The thousands of tickets that were given away as opposed to mm. sold. Um, so the Minister for Arts and Media, Catherine Martin, has launched a Grant Thornton, a further Grant Thornton investigation into Toy Show the Musical. She said that there was a deeply unsatisfy- unsatisfactory nature in which information has been provided by 
RTE's executive and now because of how much of a commercial failure and obviously there are always commercial failures in the arts and broadcasting that's you know mm. a risk that you take but it was very much um seen as something that doesn't have to be as big a failure yeah. as it was the millions that were lost so we have also heard now about the staff so the staff have said this can't just be an overhaul of you know commercial and financial this has to be now the culture yeah this has to be everything so yeah. there's no more committees we're done with the committees committees are done it will be anything that any more information that you get now will be either from a parliamentary question submitted by a TD or when the reports come out. But we are due another report. Well, I did hear as well on Morning Ireland just on my way here that uh, whoever was on, I don't know who it was. It was a TD. It was a member of the, the yeah. Public Accounts Committee. And he he was asked whether when Noel Kelly and Ryan yes. go in, will that be public? And and he said, yes, yeah. so we might get one more go round. Yeah. So there's a private meeting today about PA, from PAC mm. from then to decide how, what next steps they're going to take. But we have got confirmation yesterday from our, from Noel Kelly and Ryan Dupley that they will appear yeah. in front of the media committee to help in any way they can. And let me tell you, these two men are going to have a serious axe to grind. Yeah. And I think along with them and Dee Forbes, whenever she is well enough, there is a lot more to come from this. Yeah. Can I just, I just want to comment on something. So the toy show, the musical thing, I think is something that's really difficult for a lot of people to get their head around. Um, and just, I guess, to give a little bit of my perspective, when I was in RTE, um, it was when Jenny Green started doing the concert orchestra shows. Oh, yeah. Which have been a huge they're success. Huge success yeah. They're really good, I've but they're been. also a massive commercial success for RTE. Okay. So there was definitely a fire lit within RTE okay. yeah. about events. Yeah. They got the ball rolling. And shows. Yeah. And there was a thing of like, what can we, what else can we do that can bring money in? Because yeah. the reality is Orti is, is genuinely in constant financial crisis, even though obviously some of this spending would make you wonder what's going yeah. on. Like, I appreciate that. But there is genuinely a real worry about how Orti is going to continue to exist based on the current funding model. So they're always looking for ways to make money. Yeah. So they got very excited about events. I heard this doesn't matter um and i think that toy show the musical was an idea it was we we yes we'll it's invest not about, it's not a bad idea it's not a bad idea we're going to invest yes massive money in this but from the whatever we outlay on set on development on blah 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 we won't ever have to spend again and then we can do this every year mm -hmm. and make a fortune every year mm -hmm. no one expected it to fail yes. as much as it did yeah so you know i think as an idea as a commercial enterprise it was actually reasonable um and that's why it was done it wasn't done as some sort of I, I don't think I, I think it was done for commercial reasons they really thought it was going to be a big earner for them well the toy show is like the most popular program exactly. on RTE so yeah. but it, it does and like we heard this a lot in the meeting the committee meeting yesterday they were saying there's just this general seeming attitude of flippancy towards yes. money mm -hmm. and that's what's really bugging people well it's five grand on sandals or the millions that were lost in the toy show yeah. there doesn't actually ever seem to be you know any accountability as well like yeah. okay what risks assessments were done for the toy show yeah did you look at the market pantomimes are incredibly expensive look at every other one we have at christmas they're hard to pull off so the new thing that we're seeing now and i know you want to talk about about this is there has been an ongoing conversation about things like rt stars who have commercial deals or are influencers or whatever else then we're on RTE premises 
recording ads that had nothing to do with their contract at RTE. I think for me, as someone who comes from the North and have done a bit of work for the BBC and Press Association, that's mind-blowing to me. Yeah. That the notion that, like, if you worked at Sky News or you worked at the BBC or you worked at CNN, you're not allowed to have your own podcast. Yeah, but here's, there's, I have a lot to say on this. Yes. A lot. Um, and from the outset, I will say I am someone who was a presenter in RTE who was doing commercial work outside of RTE at, at the same time. Um, so number one on things like, you know, these, the ads that were filmed on campus, like obviously that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't have been done. Like, I think, I don't think anyone would defend that. I think everyone, even the people would be like, yeah. I can't believe I did it. I like, I wish I'd never done it. Just like it was lack stupid. of thought. Yeah. yeah. So let's just park that. We all agree that that was stupid. But most of the time, people's external commercial work does not link to Orti. No. They don't do it on, on campus. And the people who we're talking about are not journalists. Mm. They're not people who go in and do current affairs coverage. They're not people who's, you know, you know, interviewing of a, a, I don't know, a business owner could be compromised because that's not the kind of content that they do. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to point out that there is a difference between, um, I don't know, a bank taking a current affairs presenter out for dinner oh, yes, the day before yeah. they interview the head of the yeah. bank and someone doing, you know, being given a car as a brand ambassador yeah. and then going into work and literally never talking about cars ever. Yeah, no, the, the question that I have and a lot of other journalists have put out is what kind of commercial business model is it when you allow your incredibly popular, incredibly talented presenters to have their own podcast that then takes listenership away from your radio show. So that's something I want to talk about. But just before we move on to that, uh, staying with the, the other, like the influencer type stuff, something that I would like to point out that I think needs to be considered within the context of all of this is that influencer work is, I would imagine for the people who are very good at it and successful Mm. at it, who are also high profile people in RTE more lucrative. Oh, definitely, I would say. So if there's going to be a ban on that kind of work, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what choices people make. But I don't think... I don't think think a ban's coming. I think it'll be a restriction, but I cannot see a full ban. I don't know how RT will get around it because there are going to be certain people who are currently on the radio who have very popular podcasts and who have very lucrative deals with whoever it is. Well, let's talk about the podcasts because the podcasts I yes, find this I genuinely find shocking. Yeah. Like when I worked in, in 2FM, I did a podcast with um, the Health Research Board. It was an educational podcast for uh, pregnant women and new oh. mothers who were going through the maternity system in Ireland. It's a public service broadcast uh, or a public service podcast. Like it wasn't yeah. a commercial thing. Um, I had to have it approved internally and on the basis that it wasn't a commercial thing that it wasn't you know really for like a broadcast network or whatever mm. um you know that it was fine for me to do that and i think that that was the right decision you know yeah. because that Public podcast is broadcasting. yeah still recommended to mothers as they go through the maternity system now um but i i i am genuinely shocked by the fact that there are people, let's just be honest, I am, I am gobsmacked that the two Johnnies were given the big job that they were given. I'm just going to be straight up about it. I was gobsmacked that they were given that job and allowed to continue doing their massively successful podcast. And the two have no link to one another? Like from what I hear, they're on a big salary mm. in RTE and yet they're, and they're they also have, making a fortune a from their podcast. listeners per week. Let's just think about, for example, when the GAA catfish story happened, which is arguably the biggest thing that ever happened on the Two Johnnies podcast. It was talked about constantly, but it was on their podcast. It wasn't on RTE. Mm-hmm. 
So like, I think there is a question there of like, what is, why would we allow these two it's things just, to happen? And it's not that Johnny's fault or, and it's not, no, Darren no. Gar- and it's not Darren Gary's fault or Jennifer's fault. It's very, very questionable business models yes. if you want to make money. Like I, I did another podcast while I worked at RTE for RTE because I knew, or I thought I would never be given permission <laughs> to mm-hmm. do one externally. Like when I started thinking about this podcast, it was when I was thinking about my time there coming to an end because it doesn't make sense like based on my reading of my contract Orti essentially owned me as a broadcaster and that was it yeah and I was fine with that um so yeah I think it's a it's a valid question it was the question it was it was put to me by a number of TDs yesterday and like bear in mind and like this is not a slight on TDs but like they're not the target audience either for a podcast well I I think we've seen very clearly based on the committees that there's a lot of yeah, lack of knowledge. And that's yeah. fine. Like, they're not going to be the target audience for a lot of these podcasts or any podcasts. Yeah. So there is a bit of confusion about commercial, you know, deals and, and all that as well. But yeah, that was the main thing that TD said to me yesterday is where there was a lot of questions hanging over podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that So unfolds. next week, ears peeled, Noel Cayley, Tubbs mm-hmm. in front of the committee. I would imagine with a solicitor. Yeah. Because they only agreed to the request through a solicitor. One thing just before we move on, and we have done a lot of time on this already, but um, just very quickly. So Geraldine, um, oh my God, why is her surname gone out of my head? She is the commercial director for RTE. I would have worked with her very like you know very very occasionally um occasionally like as presenters you would be invited actually to commercial events sometimes to kind of mix in I think it's O'Reilly uh to mix in with the kind of clients O'Leary sorry so you would be invited as a presenter sometimes to go to events with clients to schmooze basically um so I would have met Geraldine very briefly at these events um like I don't know her well at all Mm. um but I think that she's actually done very well um in the hearings and yesterday she was basically attacked by one of the TDs and I think it was completely inappropriate just to comment on that um some of the like the purpose of these committees are to ask questions and get information. And some of the public representatives appear to be using it as an opportunity to, like, I don't know, showboat. Well, yeah, that's the way I would explain it. As for, you know, a lot of our Octus committees are not watching. Yeah, by nobody's the public. watching them. Yeah. They are not. They, TDs find them boring. A lot of TDs who are on that committee might not turn up to that committee. Yeah three times a week but it's because they know this is their time to shine and they can get on tv the worst i think we ever saw was the john delaney fai story where the showboating in those public accounts committees was next level i think even from an analysis point of view people like brendan griffin amelda monster have been outstanding in this because all they want is the information Mm. and i find that there have been other tds who know that they are going to get on TV out of this. And this is a very common tactic when you get to a popular committee. And I would also... I actually totally disagree on Imelda Munster. Oh, really? I think think she interrupts so much. She doesn't let people answer a question and she scolds like a mother. Mm. And like I, to be honest, and and look, I want to get to the bottom of this as much as anyone else. I'm not team RTE. I'm not team anyone. But like I actually felt that she was completely inappropriate yesterday. And I this is and it's actually her specifically I'm talking about in the way the, that she spoke with Geraldine O'Leary. And I would also say Geraldine O'Leary at one point got quite emotional because she was saying that there had been a lot of commentary about her well, and yes. her husband. Someone said to her, Do you think your position is tenable? And she said, yeah. Well as I've said I'm retiring 
in eight weeks. But if I wasn't, no, it would not be tenable. Yeah. Because the attacks the on me and, and my husband. husband and the invasion into our my personal life has been so inappropriate. I couldn't possibly stay in this job. Mm-hmm. And she's right. Like mm-hmm. Geraldine is in charge of the commercial part of this business. So that's the part of the job that she was doing and doing yeah. well. Yeah. And and it's been confused with the public service, mm-hmm. you know, and the and the public part of the business. Yeah. And so the you questions know, aren't over her because she was doing the job she was hired to do. The questions are over it exactly. in general. Yeah. Exactly. Um so look, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like I've banged on a lot, but I just I really felt for her yesterday and mm-hmm. I felt I honestly felt Imelda Munster was one of my big people that I had an issue with because the interrupting was off the scale. Like people mm-hmm. were not allowed to answer questions. What's the point in asking if they can't answer, you know? I would say, and I'm not standing up for Imelda Munster because I've seen this in both committees. I th- I've always said that I think it's better when TDs say, just give me a yes or no answer because at times they only have two or three minutes to yeah. get answers out of them. But it, then you have TDs who go on these long rambling rants and then there are certain TDs who we saw yesterday thought it was a big joke and couldn't wait to have their time to shine. Um, there was a letter actually in the Irish Times from a retired solicitor um, specifically on the conduct in the uh, PAC session. Mm-hmm. Um, basically saying, he said, I cannot understand why any potential witness would cooperate with the PAC based on what I saw. Mm-hmm. In all the courts and tribunals that I appeared in over 34 years, there was always one constant. The witnesses were treated with respect and were allowed to answer questions uninterrupted within reason. In what I saw, the PAC members, with few exceptions, barked and hectored the witnesses. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I did feel that at times. And you would also, people won't remember this, but someone took a case a long time ago Um about this and yeah. about how they were treated in the committee and they won. The Cairns case, apparently, yeah. because it's referred to within yeah. this letter. This The letter is from John Mark Downey in the Irish Times. So look, I mean, I feel like everything I've said there sounds like I'm being super defensive of Warty and that's that's not my position. But I just think there's a lot of misunderstanding oh, hugely, around this yeah. stuff and I want but to kind of... But when a story gets this big, there always It's always going to happen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that's, that's kind of, I guess, why mm-hmm. I think it's important that we do this stuff to try and, you know, mm-hmm. shed a little bit of light if we can. Okay, let's move on to the just genuinely heartbreaking story of what happened to two St. Michael's College students in EOS. This is such a tragedy. So this was a leave insert holiday that had been booked for a long time. And these two boys, um, Andrew O'Donnell and Maxwell, they were both 18 and they died um, within a few hours, I believe, of each other when they were on holidays on a Greek island of EOS. So what we know so far is that the postmortem has been completed and the bodies will be brought home on Thursday, but today. But the results of that postmortem won't be available for another 10 days. Um, what they think happened was that Andrew fell from a height. And when Max and the search party were out looking for him, Max, who had a heart condition and had had a heart operation three years ago and had recovered well, had some sort of incident to do with his heart and then died on the search party looking for his friend. God, it's just absolutely awful. So I have read quite a lot about this today. You know, the school seemed a very tight-knit community, St. Michael's College and the family. The Parents Association flew out to the Greek island to bring um, the remaining children, children, teenagers, home. Um, around, um, yeah, it's the 80 um, of the students who went out um they're now on their way home. I think most of them are on their way home. Mm. They said, uh, the Parents Association said the local Irish community on the island had been amazing. Mm. Like, so good. They said the locals on the island had been amazing. There is um, just this absolute shock and sadness around St. Michael's. Um, but they are separate incidents. Police, the police in Athens have 
stated this, they're uh, they're not linked. They're not yeah. linked. But in as much as one, they believe one person fell and the other person then died when when looking for him. Yeah. yeah. Oh god, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. So Andrew, they believe separated from his friends after a night out. And then his body was found on Sunday by the authorities. Um, but his body has found found the body was found with consistent injuries from a fall. Yeah, it's just I mean it could happen to any of us. I think that's the scariest part of it. Every the leaving certainty is such a huge part of people's lives. It's such a you know rite of passage, and it's just every parent's nightmare. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean the thing about raising children and obviously I'm not at this stage yet but like you know you have to let them have a little bit of independence and you don't really want to and you're terrified Mm -hmm. and like yeah you know okay you can go over to the green on your own or you Mm -hmm. can yeah go into the shop on your own there I'll wait for you outside like all of that stuff is scary and I cannot imagine what it must have felt like for these parents to raise their children get them to the leaving cert get them to finish it let them go off on their holiday which is terrifying to you and then for this to happen I just I can't I've been thinking about them so much um and obviously we just sent a huge sympathy and I I know they're being brilliantly supported but it's such a such a an excruciating thing Mm. to experience Okay, um, let's move on to something excruciating in a very different way. Um, Once again, we return to Elon Musk and his latest moves on Twitter. This is, it's, it's, I actually was talking about this to my friends this morning and I said I'd rather it went out with a bang than a whimper, but it's going to be a whimper. We are in the last days of Twitter. On Saturday, the most basic functionality of Twitter was taken away from people under Elon Musk's stewardship. So ordinary users were capped at seeing 600 tweets per day. Do you know how many tweets you see in like a minute? Yeah, loads. Easily you could go through 200. Easily in a minute. Um, with a limit of 6,000 tweets for subscribed Twitter Blue members who pay 8 euro a month. So there are around 500 million tweets posted per day. And although the caps have now been relaxed because it was so deeply unpopular, there are still huge problems now with the functionality. But it also makes so no sense. Makes like, no why sense. would you, why would you, like, because what happens is you go, oh, I've reached my limit, so I just won't go back on the website. Why would you intentionally make curb traffic to the website? Well, well my personal theory and what a lot of people have speculated is that because Twitter is a loss-making company, Elon has laid off a lot of people who work in the software and the back end and they cannot deal with the traffic anymore because there's not staff there to deal with it. So they are capping the amount of tweets that you can see so that the, the skeleton staff that are there are able to keep it on the road. Well, also, obviously, I think he thought people would pay. pay yeah. But nobody's going to pay because nobody wants to give Elon so, Musk money. <laughs> ironically, what happened is that most people, a lot of people, especially in America, not so much here, moved to this new social media site called Blue Sky which is an invite-only replica of Twitter founded by the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey's new website. Then that crashed because there was too many people on that site because they had all left Twitter. And they said that there had been some degraded performance as a result of high record traffic. Um, Mastodon, not not the one. Um, People were on it for a while and then just sort of died off it. And now we have Meta, uh, Facebook have brought out their own uh, type of Twitter now called Threads, which has not launched in Ireland yet, mm. but will be launching. Um, I think what this shows is, and we, I obviously have been off Twitter now for a couple of months, highly recommended um, for anyone who um, struggles with being told they're um, a stupid ugly bitch every day. Um, <laughs> but this is 
this is the end of Twitter. Um, it is a loss-making company, and I would like to point out, as no fan of Elon Musk, it was a loss-making company before Elon Musk came along. Yeah, but it just has not yeah. been made any better by any shape or form. It's just been made consistently worse. Yeah, so okay. you will see more than six hundred tweets, but I can't guarantee you how much more you will see. That's crazy. Um, okay, this I'm kind of. What is this cocaine in the White House story? It's why is this a story? Because it's the White House. I know, but sure, didn't they test the loose and the doll years ago and find residue of cocaine in every toilet or something? I don't Surely know there's that. cocaine everywhere. Um, I'm going to Google that. A white powder was found in the White House on Sunday um, and it emerged after a Secret Service sweep and that cocaine um, was found. There was a there was a test on it and it is cocaine. Um, the West Wing is attached to the executive mansion. So that's where Joe Biden and Dr. Pajel Biden love. Uh, it also has the Oval Office, the Cabinet Room, the press area, the offices, the workspace for the President's staff. So hundreds of people come and go to this part of the West Wing regularly. And it was handed in on Sunday evening and it was found in a work area. I don't even know what that means in the way it does, but... Um, yeah, it's later been identified as cocaine. So the statement says, the DC Fire Department was called to evaluate and quickly determine the item to be non-hazardous because if it's a white powder found in the White House, your first thought maybe isn't cocaine. It might be anthrax or something yeah. else like that. So they said, the Secret Service spokesperson said, Adam, there was an investigation into the cause and the manner of how the substance entered the White House. We'd like to point out that President Biden was not in the White House on Sunday. It is a public holiday in America for Independence Day on the 4th of July. Mm. So he and his family had returned from a weekend on a presidential retreat Camp, Camp David on Tuesday morning. Mm. So Biden wasn't there. It is likely, we do not know, but there has been a lot of speculation. It's likely that it was some one who works in the White House. Okay, can I just clarify what I said earlier? Because I have Googled and... Cocaine has been found, uh, traces of cocaine have been found in a toilet in the doll. Um, in 2006, the Irish Daily Mirror did an investigation where they swabbed toilets in Leicester House and found uh, residue of cocaine. Um, so, But not every toilet, so please, t- I take that back. However, in 2021, cocaine was found in almost every bathroom in the UK houses of Parliament. So I guess that's why I was shocked. I was yeah. like, surely there's cocaine everywhere. It's still a story, though, and I think what it does speak to is this notion that we can fight um, the government say that they can fight, you know, the proliferation of, of drugs. And we see, even see in Dublin, you know, we'll have TDs rightly saying that, you know, people who buy co- cocaine across the country are feeding into gangland. But then those people are also people who work in Leinster House and, yeah. you know, are, are in the White House or, you know, are in the Houses of Parliament. So it's not that it's a problem outside of their world. Mm. Um, and it probably just goes to a larger question about how we actually deal with drug addiction and drug abuse in the sale of drugs. I would would say 100%. Okay, and then finally, um, and this has been a long one, my pals, um, (laughs) let's talk about the Israeli attack on a refugee camp. I have found this so hard to watch. I feel like after everything we see, and we do see this often, we do see attacks um, by Israel on Palestine, but I have found this um, particularly hard to take so the israeli army has withdrawn its forces now from the palestinian city of jenin after carrying out one of its biggest military operations in the west bank for years the occupied west bank so they said and you would see footage of this the israeli defense forces said that it was a targeted mission um against terrorists jenin jenin is basically a refugee camp Mm. um the Images that I saw were quite harrowing. They were quite clearly civilians with children running away from rocket fire 
Um, and then in return, uh, Palestinian militants and the Gaza Strip fired five rockets into Israel, but there were no immediate reports of casualties. However, um, in the refugee camp, the people were basically cleaning through rubble of their homes, uh, burned out cars. It, 12 um, Palestinians were killed in the Janine operation. Uh, the last I heard um, was that a number of children had been injured mm-hmm. in the, um, I don't know what the right word is, operation. Um, on Tuesday, the Palestinian health minister accused the army of shooting Palestinians in a courtyard in the in the courtyard of the public hospital, and said Israel's aggression reached its climax this afternoon when citizens were shot at directly in the courtyard of Janine Hospital, wounding three, two of them seriously. And they had also stormed a further hospital in Ibn Sina Hospital. The Israeli army said there were reports on social media regarding fire by soldiers towards a hospital, but he said those. Those reports are currently not known to security forces, adding the terrorist organizations have exploited civilian areas as a hideout. Mm. Uh, Doctors Without Borders condemned the Israeli forces for firing tear gas inside a hospital and said it was unacceptable. Uh, The Palestinian Foreign Ministry said it was an open war against the people of uh, Janine. And then in response, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the Israeli Prime Minister, despite numerous elections and impending fraud, uh, court cases, he said that he would uproot terrorism. At this moment, we are competing, completing the mission, and I can say that our extensive activity in Janine is not a one-time operation. <sighs> the Palestinian Red Crescent said that it evacuated 500 families from the camp, which is about 3,000 people. There is no electricity, there is no water, and there is no heat. So just on the children thing, um, B'Tselem, who are a non-profit organization based in Jerusalem, who... Their stated goals are to document human rights violations in the Israeli-occupied Palestinian territories. Um, They estimated in 2021 that 2,171 Palestinian children had been killed in the last two decades by Israeli military actions, and 139 Israeli children have been killed by Palestinian militants. Now, obviously, every child's life lost is a tragedy, but the difference between those figures is so stark. And I would just, um, without getting too complicated and get into this 800-year war, I would really, really um, direct people towards Amnesty International's work in Palestine. These are people who cannot hold jobs, who cannot vote. They are basically penned in um, to this tiny part of land, uh, this tiny territory. And uh, it's a very complicated issue. I have no doubt about it. Um, But I I would ask people to go on Amnesty International's website and try and just because it is a very complicated issue and a lot of people ask me about it mm. and I've read four or five books and I still you know find it really complicated to explain but just from a civil and human rights perspective I would ask people to go on Amnesty International's mm. website and look at their chapter on Palestine. Um, I actually did an interview as well with um, May Kay on the podcast which I'll try and link to the show notes if I can mm. remember remind me Eva. <laughs> yeah. uh, about her visit and work um, in yeah, Palestine. Um, it's really good kind of normal person explaining why they feel really passionate about it um, and why people continue to stay there, mm-hmm. even though it's so dangerous. Okay, well, that's a 34-minute news slot, Aoife. Um, <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> pre-order my book. Yes, pre-order The Long Game. The link is in the show notes, as always.
The Irish women's national team is heading off to Australia imminently to prepare for their first match of their first ever World Cup. It is a huge deal for the women on the team, but also for every woman who went before them. I'm conscious of the fact that you may not have joined me on the women's football bandwagon yet. So this week, I wanted to give you some of the history and the context to explain why this is so significant and why if you care about women and equality at all, you'll care about this World Cup. And also, it's really good fun. Like, I'm telling you, I'm loving this bandwagon. Fortunately, Sinead O'Carroll, sports fanatic and editor of the Journal.ie, joined me this week ahead of her own trip to Australia to cover this huge moment in Irish sporting history. I love the chat and I hope you enjoy it too. Now, Sinead O'Carroll, um, you are obviously a journalist. You are going to be going to the World Cup, which I know is very exciting for you. Um, but the reason that I know it's very exciting for you is because you and I worked together in the journal for, I I don't know how long I worked there. I have no no concept of time anymore. A very significant time in my life, um, a time I enjoyed a lot. And I know that even though you were an unbelievable journalist in current affairs, you have such a passion for sport and always have, haven't you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I have that stereotypical story that if you talk to anybody who has been, as I say, bleeding on about the women in sport thing for years, <laughs> it comes from a place of knowledge. It comes from a place of like being that girl playing. And I think my story is kind of a little bit different in a way because I wasn't particularly good at sport. Okay. <laughs> like I love it and I loved it and I always have since I was a girl. But um, I wasn't it's not like I was you know Katie McCabe or Katie Taylor you know being, yeah. or Denise O'Sullivan being like oh I play with boys and I'm brilliant and I was able to keep up like I wasn't able to keep up like mm. <laughs> you know um, my sister is a fabulous sports person and was able to like you know take up anything at any time but I wasn't but I, I liked grafting I liked the hard work of it I, I play camogie so you know I loved going up to the field and practicing things and you know being like oh so and so can do this and I can't like how can I figure out how to do this and like I used to get my dad to come up and do practice with me and be like oh dad I can't do this very well will we and we just used to practice things over and over again so yeah my story is a little bit different in that like I'm not a very good sports person but I I love it and I you know I've, I've kept playing through my adulthood so you know, I'm not terrible I'm just your average club GA player yeah but I think that that's actually crucial for this conversation because the reason that I wanted to chat to you today is because I think that there are a lot of people who won't necessarily be totally checked in to the women's world cup to the significance of it and why we should all care, basically. And um, I think a lot of people kind of go, oh, well, sport's not for me, or I'm not an athlete. And um, if you don't know, I guess, the story, I certainly find, I need to know the story. I need to know why things are important. I need to know the context to kind of get in. And then once I'm in, I will be watching every match and absolutely glued to it. I'll have my favorite players. But, you know, if you don't know the story, you might not feel connected to it um, and it has been quite a journey for women's football like where we are now is very significant isn't it in terms of the way that women are taken seriously in sport oh like the step change in women's sport in general over the last five years and accelerated massively by COVID in a weird way but if you told us in 2017 that in six years time not only would we be going to a world cup like the Irish team would qualify for a World Cup, it would be played in front of 80,000 people, that RTE would be showing every single match and that there would be kind of knowledge of who the players are, like general knowledge of who the players are, or Louise McSharry would be doing a podcast. Like it just was not, not in any way believable. Like it was just not where we were. Um, in 2017, the Irish football team, um, had to threaten to go on strike from the FAI's um, schedule of matches because their treatment was so abysmal. And like, this wasn't them asking for like 
any kind of terms of equality with the men. It was like asking not to be treated like the dirt on the shoe of the people who are meant to be looking after them. Mm. Um, most, of, pretty much all of the women on that team um, were full-time workers in, in other areas. So they would play for Ireland basically on their own dime. They had, they had very little expenses. They used to have to work if they had matches away. They used to have to work. There wouldn't even be Wi-Fi provided to them in the hotels. So they'd have to try and figure out how to work um, from sometimes far-flung countries. Um, the one that got the most headlines was they didn't get gear, their own gear. So they used to borrow tracksuits from some of the underage boys teams and have to give them back in the airport. So, you know, the like the lack of dignity and having to change out of tracksuits. Um, you know, no full-time coach, never mind, you know, access to doctors, physios, all of that kind of stuff. So, And this is 2017, we, like this is six years yeah, ago. Yeah, like this, this is not like, you know, you know, if I was talking about the 1973 team, so we fielded an international Irish team for the first time in 1973, those women got their like formal, like recognized caps for that game this year. Like wow. so 50 years ago, like, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about like night and day and uh, one of the... Um, women on on the, that team Linda O'Gorman spoke in an event I was at recently and she said you know people often ask me what do I think of this team now and they're so brilliant um, and they asked me could I dream of what they're doing and she said I did dream of doing that but they couldn't even think about what we did because like they're they're so far away mm. from what we did in 73 but those girls who were around in 2017 um, sorry for your listeners as well. There's a, a kind of a weird sports thing that we do call each other girls. <laughs> and it's sort of people are find that jarring. Like it's actually just a really bad habit that we, uh, I find really hard to break. Um, like when we talk to each other in the dressing room, we say girls. Uh, so yeah, when, when those women went on strike in 2017, like the, the context of that, people will probably remember John Delaney and all mm. of that roar around the FAI. Like the women were the first women to stand up, like the first people to stand up to the FAI in John Delaney's tenure and go, hang on, this is good enough. And they they stared him down. They yeah. stared him down to the point that they, you know, got a coach for the first time and things started to get in gear. And to be fair, society was ready. So one of the reasons why I say that, you know, sport, women in sport and particularly team sport women in team sport because you always have those individual stories like over the years you can go oh well it's always been fine because we always thought Martina Navratilova was brilliant or Steffi Graf or you know whatever athlete you want to pick but team sports I think um kind of show a little bit more of how women's place in society can be represented and respected so for me that's the wider story that if we're actually looking at football the most popular sport on the whole in the whole entire world um played in every sport is accessible to mm. like most communities mm-hmm. um you take that then and you go okay well you're over the years we have just been like completely ignoring 50 percent of the population in a in a business in a sport in a place of, of society that is so important mm. um just to fill that gap to to take our place in that I think it tells tells a wider story and you know I'm sure people who are um you know into music could say could come up with analogies about radio airtime Mm. or people who are into theater can probably come up with plays who have like women as the lead so I think it's just in the space that you know I take up that's why it's so important to see uh, women and particularly women in teams, mm. you know, get the recognition and the and the just desserts that they deserve. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, and then there's like the 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 
the way their story has evolved then in the six years has brought in some stuff that we do talk about as women, like what we need, that allyship mm. um, that you need, that, you know, that you need um, representation in media. And like that they're the little pieces of the puzzle that have come together for this team. Yeah. And and like, I mean, it is amazing. Like I, there's a, a Cadbury ad right outside my estate with Katie McCabe on it. Like my kids, if you ask my son, Ted, who his favorite footballer is, it's Katie McCabe and Messi. Like for him, <laughs> they are on a par. Do you know what I mean? Um, like everybody knows Katie now and, and lots of the other members of the teams, as you said, like you're Denise O'Sullivan's, you're Amber's, like they're all, you know, getting this incredible name recognition and it's because they're getting advertising deals and, you know, there are big name brands and companies supporting them and even at, at a lower level, um, I spoke with a member of the Bose ladies team and, you know, they have sponsorship from Dublin bus, which means that they get to train in the same facility as the men now for the first time. Like, as you're saying that, that kind of corporate allyship is very helpful. You know, I think we can be kind of cynical sometimes about sponsorship and corporate support, but I mean, the money that, that corporations and businesses have been willing to kind of put into these teams has been a game changer as well. Hasn't it? Even just in terms of recognition. Yeah, it's the two things that the women say. So the two, the so there's the sporting things. So that like they got a result against Australia uh, at the start of their qualifying campaign, which was a big deal for on the pitch stuff. But off the field, two things happened. So they got a sponsor. So Sky sponsored them. And mm. um, the men's team um, don't have a sponsorship at the moment because the FAI is kind of a tainted brand after everything. So right. the men's team don't have a sponsorship, and the women's team got a sponsor in Sky. And then the second thing that was happened that the the men's captain Seamus Coleman worked with Katie McCabe the women's captain to get an equal pay deal so the FAI obviously don't have a huge amount of funds and mm. um, with the way football is run here um so the captains came together and then the men so the, the stipend you get for playing with Ireland it's not like the wages you'd hear that they get in the clubs like Premier League clubs like it's just a kind of regular enough stipend um I think it was a couple of thousand for the men and a few hundred for the women mm. um and the men said they would take less if the women got paid more so wow. they worked out a deal um, so that kind of allyship, like that wouldn't happen without someone like Katie McCabe and someone like Seamus Coleman being able to come together, yeah. propose a deal and people in the FAI saying, OK, yes. So they're the two things that this group of women say were massive in mm. their road to success. Um, so, yeah, that corporate sponsorship. Now, I would say I think there's still a lot more that could be done on that side. Like yeah. if you go into any sports shop at the moment, there's very uh, few displays about jerseys. I listened mm. to a podcast recently and the you know, the Adidas, the Nikes of the world, they're not, they're still not making a huge amount of the women's jerseys. They're yeah. still hitting their bets on whether they'll be popular. I don't know what they need. To, Honestly, to just look at the attendance Euro. numbers. It's wild. Like it makes like no the sense. Euros, the Euros in England last year were like basically sold out, um, you know, big stadiums, uh, huge buzz around. And there wasn't a jersey to be bought because they didn't make enough. They didn't order enough. And yeah. like places like Sports Direct, like England, you know, could possibly win a World Cup this year and, you know, Sports Direct aren't doing any marketing or anything like that around uh, the English team. So, yeah, there's still a ways to go, I think, to break mm. down some of the stereotypes around yeah. uh, what people will watch, what people are interested in. Um, but, yeah, I think in Ireland, this team for sure has broken a huge barrier for for women's sports. Yeah. Um, and for me, the the really cool stuff is like we can have I love these conversations. I love talking about this stuff. Um, but, you know, we're asked to go on sports shows to talk about the actual football as well. Like yeah. people kind of, you know, know like 
you know Katie's position and you know we want to see her play higher up the pitch if, if yeah. we're doing well and you know Megan Campbell's throws and you know people know that Denise O'Sullivan is one of the best players in the NWSL in, in America so it's kind of cool that you also kind of have a bigger knowledge base people with a bigger knowledge base of like what's actually happening on the field as well yeah. so that's again being another big change yeah um I think you and I were both at a, a party um a party is that what we would call it <laughs> an event anyway for the team last week and I think for me what really brought it home and I I jumped on this bandwagon pretty firmly about a year ago but um on the night in the room there were several uh girls like like youth football teams in the room and then they were just so excited like they were so excited to see the team they were literally jumping up and down clapping like I mean it was like I mean and they probably were seeing their heroes and that was gorgeous and that really is a special thing to see and it really does bring home the significance but to be in the room with those youth teams and then there were legends of Irish women's football on the stage as well talking about their experiences to see those two things together really brought it home for me how significant this is because you had women on the stage who had no one to look up to, no one, you know, who were paying their own travel expenses to go to a match, to leaving their families, um, you know, and then having to get back home for work or whatever, or get the kids up for school the next day and, you know, barely staying in hotels if they were lucky. Um, but talking about, you know, wanting to do it because you just wanted to play for your country. And it was, you know, that was, that was what made it important. And then you have these girls in the youth teams who now have this national team to look up to. Like it really just brings it home how much progress we've made and how meaningful that is. That, I think that's the word. It's meaningful. It's not just, you know, it's not RT ticking a box to represent as many women as they do men in their sporting output. It it really does matter. Like those girls are the first generation of girls who will probably, you know, if you went into a primary school, I used to always use this as an example. If you go into a primary school and ask a bunch of eight-year-olds, like, what do you want to be? You're kind of guaranteed that a good few boys will put up their hand and say a professional footballer. Mm. Like, up until this generation, that just was not a possibility that girls could even dream about because Mm. they just didn't know it was possible. But now they do. They have this pathway. They have examples. And, like, obviously, there will be a lot of shattered dreams (laughs) in the same way that boys realise, oh, crap, I'm not good enough. Mm. Um, But to be able to actually see it and to have a pathway to it um, and then just, I think, going back to you don't have to be the best. You can be inspired by this happening and not particularly want that pathway, but think, you know, it's it's showing you like women in a different space. You might not end up in that space, but they're there. And I can maybe be in another space that there's no women in at the moment, but mm-hmm. I can I can get there. I think it's just inspiring on a, a lot of different levels for those girls. And the other thing that it does is it just normalizes being a girl who plays sport. So, you know, we still have huge problems with girls dropping out of sport at 13, 14. Um, So the idea that they see, you know, these adult women continuing to play sport and continuing like one of the things that um, probably changed the the look of women's sport from the outside for me was the hockey team in 2018. Yeah. That for me was the first time that I got really emotional because I was like, these, these are girls who are hugging each other and celebrating as a team on telly. Like, mm. you know, as an Irish team, we hadn't seen that really before 2018, mm. you know, cause very few Irish teams were ever televised. Um, so 
that was a big game changer for me. And I think for a lot of women around the country um, who had no idea about hockey, who had never like followed the Irish hockey team. But again, like you said, like, you know, you were able to jump on that bandwagon in a completely positive way, you know, all aboard the bandwagons for women's sport. Like you yeah. don't need to have been there like from the day of dot to be welcomed in. Um, so, yeah, I think just all of that kind of um, shows that women belong in spaces that previously we didn't, yeah. we were told we didn't belong. Yeah. Um, so for me, like, I think if people are listening here and they're like, oh, I don't care about football. I'm like, well, is there any space in your life that you feel like you want to be in, but you don't belong? Like, this is this is women who, who, who wanted to belong in sport and pushed themselves and mm. pushed like themselves to the end of their capabilities and pushed other people to do their jobs better so that they could, you know, achieve what they needed to achieve. Chloe Mustaki told me the day, Chloe Mustaki is the girl who went on Sky Sports after the whole IRA thing to, mm. and your man asked her whether she needed education and she cut him right down yeah. to the knees. <laughs> and um, I asked her, like, what what's her message for the FAI to make sure that this isn't, you know, a one and done thing, like what, what they want their legacy to be. And she was like, these are the minimum standards now. Like, this is like, sure we're grateful but these are just the minimum standards you know they're not you know um they're not over egging what the FAR are doing for them either they're just like yeah this is where we're at and we need to keep growing from here because you know we're not letting this slip away in the next generation having to have any fight for us Mm. so you know they've pushed everyone around them to be better as well and um and the thing I always say about women's sport it it has always been this radically inclusive place Mm. um and that I think is an, something else we don't want to lose. Like yeah. we want to remain that and not just morph into um, what men's sport is. Yeah, it's a ve- it's very special. And that's why I wanted to talk to you and why I would love all of you who listen to the podcast to, to join me on the bandwagon because, you know, these women are incredible. They, they have done incredible work to get to this point. It is huge that they are going to the World Cup at all. And once you're in, then we can all stay on the bandwagon and just keep yeah. supporting them and keep pushing things forward. Um, Sinead, you are the editor of the journal, but you are also heading to the World Cup. You're going to Australia to report on it. How does that feel? Um, it's kind of surreal. So I have an 18-month-year-old. So 18-month-old. I- Eight, eight, 18 month year old 18 <laughs> uh, she's a year and a half uh, are you anxious about this at all because it seems like <laughs> I, I used to say this to people I'm like I don't know what 20 months is tell me it in years so yeah. I'm still like I don't even know what happened to myself um so the idea of at first I just thought like well that's not possible like I'm yeah. not going all the way to Australia and my husband said to me like there's only a first time once you have to be there yeah he was like for as long as I've known you and like what you said earlier Louise like this is this is what's important to you and like um the initial match we we're playing Australia on the 20th of July it was initially slated for a 46,000 stadium mm. and uh, the night before the draw I said to my husband I said pray we get Australia and he was like are they not good I was like they are good but like we'd get the moment we'd get that would be the World Cup moment like mm-hmm. sell out we'd have huge crowd there um you know it would be it would be really cool and then we got Australia and they moved it from a 46,000 stadium uh, to an 80,000 stadium because so many Irish people in Australia want to go and like you know I've had people ask me is there tickets like we the people in 
Australia who are Irish are all going to Sydney to meet up. Um, I think the the last figure I've heard is that we're going to be 30,000 strong. Um, so like some of the stuff I've seen over the last while is like, Australia sell out 80,000. I'm like, do they realize, like to have the yeah. Americans realize <laughs> like, that there's actually going to be a lot of Irish in that stadium. Yeah. Um, oh, so Sinead, that- you're going to be bawling. Oh my God. Yeah. Like myself and, and a couple of the other uh, sports writers were talking the other day for the 42 podcast. And like, we were like, we are going to be in absolute bits. Like I still can't watch like some of the stuff without crying or hear some of the, the women talking without crying. So yeah. I'll have to put my serious hat on and yeah, we're going to do a lot of reporting for the journal, a lot of reporting for the 42. Um, so yeah, subscribe to the 42, like, yeah. catch us up on the journal. Um, and just, yeah, like that bandwagon, it's not, that's not a negative word like it is and for people who maybe kind of don't get sport it is just it can bring so much joy it, it really can bring so much joy mm. to you if you kind of just get to know some of the the stories like, yeah you know and we will you'll be hearing from all of the women and like there's so much adversity on this team as well mm. um some like amazing stories of 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 you know people overcoming stuff and just you know getting through um some some tough times to be able to get to here and um yeah just just being able to release that and, and you know watch some games they're they're on a kind of you know not great times you know to have a pub watch along but not I the worst times either really, not the worst times there's a lunchtime one like you know yeah. <laughs> um i'm so, looking yeah, forward I'm, to the uh the old 11 a.m australia republic of ireland on the 20th of july i will be watching yeah bloody mary 100 yeah, 100%, yeah. <laughs> um if you want to get if if stories are what get you into things like let's say for example you're into formula one now because you watch the documentary series on netflix it's not about our team but it'll warm you up for the first match there's a documentary series on disney plus called the matildas the world at our feet the matildas are the australian women's football team so i'm currently mid-watch of that so that way i'll know something about both teams and i think that's how i get into these things and and it might work for you as well sinead i'm so delighted Just for you note, Louise, one yeah. other recommendation there's a podcast called Counterattack, yes. and it's about one of our players Jane Farrelly she um was the whistleblower in the U.S. Uh, yes. abuse scandal and she is unbelievable um and she has an amazing comeback story so Counterattack, Counterattack. Um, I'm literally writing it down because I haven't heard that yet either and I'm gonna get myself so warmed up Sinead I'm thrilled for you I know you're gonna you're gonna be brilliant and you're gonna have a brilliant time I know it's gonna be emotional um <laughs> what a what a time to to be alive <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it's our 1990, as we keep saying, and yeah. the women journalists, like, yeah, this, I is, love it. this is our time now. Great. Love it. Thank you so much, Sinead O'Carroll. Thank Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Kyle and Mauricio, a new Barney movie which apparently leans into millennial angst, and why Tom Hanks' niece suddenly has everyone's attention. These are the entertainment stories that make up our chat this week. Uh, there's a lot to catch up on. Luckily, I was joined by Esther O'Moore Donahue, podcaster, uh, writer, and generally absolutely hilarious and entertaining individual. Enjoy. Esther O'Moore Donahue, uh, someone else was on the slate this week to do our entertainment slot. But then when breaking stories occurred, I said, no, it must be Esther. It must be Esther to talk about the biggest housewife story we've had in donkey's ears. Esther, I'm so glad you're here. Louise, I mean, where to begin? Yes. Sorry to this man who had to be bumped out of the way, but I put my shoulder pads in and I was like, Louise, I really, I must step in here. In Be- fairness, he was like, yes, absolutely. I get it. That is yeah. appropriate. Good. That is appropriate. Good. Okay. <laughs> well, on Monday evening, I saw a tweet from you. We'll get into it, which read, Alison Dubois was right all along. And I gasped because I knew what that meant. Yes. And if you don't know what that means, well, welcome to the catch up because we're going to, we're going to mention it. It was, it, it's, it's back in season one of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Camille Grammer, ex-wife of Kelsey Grammer. Hollywood movie star had a dinner in her house. Alison Dubois was a psychic there, one of the guests. She has, if you're into the Real Housewives universe, you'll you'll know who she is. She made a prediction about Kyle Richards, current Real Housewives of Beverly Hills cast member, and her husband Mo Umansky, Mo Maurizio Umansky, uh, saying that she got on her she in the scene she sucked on her little <laughs> she had electronic. It wasn't. It was. It was electronic cigarette. Level one vape. It yeah, was like it was before anybody had a vape, and so everybody kind of slagged her off for it. So because she, she was sucking away on it, and she was really in the zone. She was putting on this performance anyway. She told Kyle at this dinner, which was contentious, and she was kind of just obnoxious. And this person was drinking a lot. Yeah, she said she to Kyle. You know, she kind of alluded that your marriage is not going to last, and he will never emotionally fulfill you know that know that and and she was like she was she had a crazy appearance on this on the at that episode that realized was. and kyle did not take it oh no she was not happy about no, it no she wasn't and she but i mean she was kind of a tricky person so you could say she winding her up because of that or because mm. whatever anyway cut to good tub in present day it was announced on monday or there was a story out on monday that kyle and Maurizio have reportedly separated after 27 years of marriage. The, my WhatsApp was flying. People were like, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? No, is there any just in the world if these two can't make it work? And see, the thing is, there had been rumors about them for ages. Like for years, there's been rumors about them. But but it, largely they have been debunked and it's been like, absolutely not. Um, but this, was, this story was on people.com and people <laughs> tends to be 
a reliable source because people tends to keep these people in their pockets. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, with the Kardashians, you pretty much always know that if it comes through people, it's the truth because the Kardashians themselves apparently have a close relationship with people. So that's why I believed it because I was like, if it's on people, it's true. Yeah, and because there were, I mean, if you listen to Who Weekly, another podcast, which Freddie mentioned several times on this podcast, they kind of had floated a story, even in last week's episode, the week before, about, you know, rumours that, I think it was even, was it Mo has been seeing or Kyle has been seeing with someone else and maybe, but then they were like, no, this has to be a storyline within The Real Housewives, this wouldn't happen, da 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 And, you know, there had been rumours before and Maurizio had gone on the Two Teas in a Pod podcast and said, no, everyone makes up these stories and they're not, you know, it's all just... The, the, the cast members on Real Housewives talk about it so then it becomes a thing and they have to talk about it in the scenes it becomes a thing but um, and the source and people said that they've two, they separated for a while now but still living under the same roof so we were just like reeling we were just hugging ourselves we were shedding imaginary tears <laughs> however then the next day the couple came out and denied plans for divorce they did um, acknowledge that a challenging year and they put out a statement that says in regards to the news that came out uh, about us today any claims regarding divorcing are untrue however yes we have had a rough year the most challenging one of our marriage but we both love and respect each other tremendously um and they're gonna they you know kind of deal with it behind the scenes and that's yeah. what it, that's where we are now let's say the play now and look it always feels a bit unsavory to speculate about someone's marriage let's admit that um but i think the thing is because housewives marriages are so part of the plot and and these people choose to make their personal lives public at, you know and that's their career you can't help but be invested in them um and the the reason i think that this is particularly interesting is because they've been together for so long 27 years they've been seen to be this rock solid yeah, couple and in hollywood as well to, yeah to, yeah and also because of the rumors about kyle mm-hmm. so I think we should just acknowledge them. Like personally, I don't think it's it's right really to speculate about someone's sexuality. But there have been these rumors flying that Kyle has developed a close relationship and that's unquestionable. She has developed a close relationship with this country singer called Morgan Wade, um, who I had never heard of previously. Um, and so people are kind of drawing the dots, putting two and two together and making a suggestion that the relationship might be romantic. But the thing about that is based on my research, like I Morgan Wade has never come out like Morgan Wade has never said she's queer like she's been in relationships with men previously like it's a you know she her appearance she could be like she kind of gives off queer vibes but like she's never said it um and so now people have begun to speculate for other explanations for their closeness and their relationship I saw one person saying that they might be half sisters who only recently discovered it that seems unlikely because we've done the maths and and by we, I mean me and Laura DeBarra have done the maths <laughs> and it would have meant that Morgan Wade's mother at 17 would have had a relationship with Kyle Richard's father at 77. He was living in Vegas. She was living in Virginia. Seems unlikely. But now the latest thing that I've heard, which I think is a possibility, is the question of whether or not Morgan is like a sober companion sober friend to Kyle because Kyle has has gave up drinking seven months ago she's spoken about this Morgan Mm. is sober um and often in America people do kind of link up based on their sobriety to kind of support each other through things but usually it's not someone who has like a big career and Morgan Wade does have a growing kind of career Well, I don't know, but then, you know, isn't Bradley Cooper kind of a, a sober companion or has a kind of a... sponsor. A, a sponsor, yeah, sober companion. A sponsor for, you know, big names in Hollywood, allegedly. Yeah, maybe. That, so, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, then, you know, 
look, hey, we don't know. We can only speculate. They put out the statements. You've got to kind of take that at face value. You yeah. know, I got caught up in the whole Alison Dubois pop culture of it all and how ridiculous that scene was and what kind of what a strange character she was or whatever. But um, they've kind of acknowledged it. You know, they have had, have had issues. Um, but, you know, of course, TikTok is going to come up with their theories on kind of micro studying micro movements in their face and look Kyle's hiding a ring here and she's got a love heart tattoo and this woman's got a love heart tattoo and what does that mean and yeah yeah there's question marks over matching tattoos over um you know time spent together photographs but like there's photographs of Kyle sitting on Morgan's lap and that could be just a friendly relationship the thing is like a new friendship could just indicate kind of a transition or a change and you know you don't know what's going on it's you know stopping drinking for someone like Kyle who drank a lot socially is a big thing you know we don't know there could have been something big that even led to that so we've no idea really what's going on but yeah but for a moment it I was like yeah scandal <laughs> move over your time I, is yeah. done don't get me wrong I fully fully lost the run of myself and yeah. I even shared a TikTok alluding to you know the rumors and I I feel I don't feel great about that um because it was just momentarily so exciting the idea it's like well, well, I can't I can't maintain this roller coaster of relationships up and down with my celebrity friends that I don't never met before although you <laughs> although you have met Kyle before I have met Kyle it's true yeah. it's true I have. and Mo was there too I saw, I saw them both together uh, this time last year and they appeared to be very much in love, like really, really got that vibe. And I asked her during my interview with her um, what, you know, any advice she would give in terms of maintaining a successful marriage. And at the time, what she said was just being careful about who you kind of hang around. And she said, like, you know, if you're friends with people in healthy marriages, that that will kind of encourage you to have a healthy marriage too, which I thought was good advice. Yeah, well, my first thought was like, what if they split up? What about PK and Dorit? Who's going to go on the on the double dates with? Yeah, I know, yeah. I know, I know. And and I also was thinking this week, it's got to be tough for Portia, their youngest daughter, who's still only a teenager. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. It's a lot. Then I felt that that made me feel really guilty then about. So we reflect like, and we learn a lesson. It's just so hard sometimes. You get so excited. Like it was Life so exciting. Just so the dull. idea of Kyle having a relationship with a woman. You know what I mean? It's like yes, Kyle. And we'll see it on the new season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Well, this is it. And and I think that's one thing that that is worth noting is that nothing that any Real Housewife does on social media hasn't been carefully considered. Like, you know... And posting loads saying, of who, photos who, with a new yeah. person you know that kind of stuff liking all of their posts commenting on all of their posts like all of that you know you're being watched that's probably that's proper real estate if I could appear naked on my Instagram and people would be like hmm did you be like, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean cobwebs is this thing on nobody cares but I mean she knows what she's doing that is you yeah. know they, they, they're they're that's how you get to the top of the, the heap in Hollywood land. Yeah. Anyway, we will watch with interest, yeah, obviously. Look, sure look, yeah. See how things continue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, let's move on. I found this absolutely wild. Ewan McGregor apparently showed his children the train spotting toilet scene. But I think this is kind of funny because this is another story that I first saw in People, uh, people.com. Uh-huh. And the way that it's kind of written is like, this is gas. You'll never guess what this, you know, Hollywood actor was showing his, his, showing his kids, whether he's grown kids, right? Um, and it's, it's written like, Hugh McGregor has a sense of humor when it comes to his movies. The actor 52 admitted to appreciating the humor in a memorable scene from Trainspotting when sharing it with his kids. The scene is the character he plays, Renton, a, like a, a heroin addict who is so desperate to retrieve his stash that he, you know, it's kind of like symbolic. He kind of, 
goes head first down the loo into this and he kind of ends with swimming. It's like, I'm sure he wasn't sharing this with his three and when they were three and four, like his daughter is a grown woman, but I thought it was, I thought it was just kind of funny no, but the way. When she was nine. Oh no, sorry. <gasps> that's Moulin Rouge. Never mind. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's more acceptable. That's more, yeah, so it's like the scene shows him clambering into a toilet bowl and swimming down inside it to retrieve a handful of opium suppositories. He's supposed to wean himself off heroin. <laughs> it's like, like I wonder has this tone? person seen the yeah, film? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Look, they're working in the newsroom. They've got to get a certain amount of stories out. They're like, this sounds gas. A toilet, children. Da, 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 da. But Ugh. yeah, but it I hate the idea of my children ever seeing or reading literally anything that I've done or listening. Not because it just like it's kind, of, it's just cringe, like. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose train spotting is there's worse things to be associated with. It is a classic film, but that scene is yeah, not. Yeah, but it's not, a horror show as it, well. It is, it is. But I mean, I think, yeah, they, they weren't babies when he was showing, was showing uh, that particular scene um, uh, to them. But um, the Danny Boyle said when they recreated that, like, that, that when they created that scene, it was like, you could have eaten your dinner off, off the toilet bowl. And there was like, whatever was in the in the loo that was like it was actually chocolate so he said it smelled quite sweet on set that day which is mm. something I never thought about and mm. never want to think about again my so, stomach is literally turning yeah okay well it's disgusting fair play but, I guess um, yeah so he's they, they anyway the reason why the story is brought up is because Ewan McGregor and his daughter Clara uh, recently worked together on a new film called You Sing Loud and I Sing Louder and uh, Ewan said it was a beautiful experience so Good for you, Ewan. Yeah, and your nepo, your nepo child. Oh, sorry, Jesus, I'm just hitting my microphone for the crack. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is, I, I, I need you to explain this to me. Daniel Kaluuya, who we know from like Get Out and films like that, is going to be in a Barney the Dinosaur film, but it's going to be adult? Well, okay, look, the, the Barbie film is in, is in cinemas now or soon, will soon be in, in a few days. And this is... Yes, I mean, sir, don't get the people excited. It's not out until the 23rd, guys, okay? I know. Okay. Come okay. on. Oh, yeah, and you've been, 22nd, invited, to, you've been invited to both Barbie and Oppenheimer. No, I have not been invited to Barbie. I'm livid about it. OMG. How many times have I talked about Barbie on this podcast? How many times? Add her to the mailing list, quickly. <sighs> yeah. What? It'll happen. Don't worry. Don't worry. You got. You still got. No, it's fine. I've actually bought a ticket to go with my friends already, so it's fine. Okay. Okay. She's feeding Mattel the Mattel machine. (laughs) So I mean, yeah. So they're going to remake Barney allegedly, and it's going to be dark, and it's going to be more adult. Um, and this is sort of the thing. I mean, there's there was a there was an article in the New Yorker about this using pre-existing IP and kind of extending the life of the brand. So you thought you were finished with your bar- your Barney brand when you were like 11 or whatever. No, no. They, they're kind of just, you know, bringing the audience and the customer along with it. Yeah. Which really, it's like, it's a, it is, it's a business move. And I mean, for example, with Barbie, Mattel, who owns the Barbie brand, they have, um, according to, there's an article in The Guardian recently by Peter Bradshaw, they have 42 other products that they're going to just try and generate content around and kind of build, you know, build films and build platforms around. Like, for example, you if- know, Transformers and Hot Wheels and things like that. Yeah, And it makes sense because, I mean, look how excited we all are about Barbie. But if Greta Gerwig wasn't part of it, would we be? I don't know. And I guess that's the point. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I suppose it's it's perfectly... They calibrate these things. So it's like, it's Barbie, which you kind of think of as frothing ridiculous, but we've got this sort of indie cool director. So it is, everything is considered like, you know, that's what they do in Hollywood. So they've got Daniel Kalu involved. He's kind of an actor of pedigree and they're kind of going, and you would never think of pairing him with this big purple dinosaur, but wait till you see, we've got, you know, in store for you and it's going to be, they'll slap a dark filter on it and I don't know what they're going to tell Barney's origin story. Well, I think it's interesting that they said they're going to lean into millennial angst. 
I was like, oh, really? Do we need more of that? Yeah, I mean, why can't we? Let's just get Selena Gomez in there and let's just, you know, have them bopping around the <laughs> playground. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But I think you're right. I think it is interesting that there are so many of our childhood toys and concepts, I suppose, that are being brought up to date. And Greta Gerwig apparently is going to be directing two films, at least based on the Narnia novels. Okay. But like, have we not had about 700 adaptations of them? We've loads of Narnia. We've loads of Narnia. But it was funny when, when Mattel announced their intention to make the Barney movie uh, in 2019, they said, like, this is, this, you can imagine many people had to draft this sentence. Barney was a ubiquitous figure in many of our childhoods. Then he disappeared into the shadows, left, misunderstood. So it's like, okay, okay they're that's coming at it. That's, it. that's like, they're, you know, it's, it's heavy handed. But look, we'll see. And that's what, that's, you know, there is a discussion about that. It's like, are there no new ideas? Why can't we bring in yeah. new writers and new ideas? They're like, or can we not use as a pre-existing IP and well, I think let's as long as they money, do baby. it well, you know, like the Barbie movie, everything I've seen so far looks amazing. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to be so gorgeous and such a pleasure mm. and joy to watch. So if if they're doing it well, I'm okay with it. It's it's when it's like the same thing rehashed in a kind of boring way that I would have an issue yeah. with it. Now, finally, I just couldn't let the week go by without mentioning this um, incredible clip of Tom Hanks's niece. <laughs> on this absolutely wild TV show in the US. I had never heard of this before, had you? No, either had I. But I'd seen I'd seen kind of videos kind of go past my eyes on Instagram a few times or whatever. And then I, I watched it and I was like, oh Lord. So the show is called Claim to Fame. How what's the premise, Esther? It's hosted by uh, two of the Jonas brothers. Uh the one of the famous Jonas brothers whose name I did not bother to research and the younger brother <laughs> Who is not famous. So there's the three Jonas Brothers in the band. And then they also have a little younger brother. And I guess that's, you know, he's kind of pretty dealt with all his life. And what are you doing here? And he's like, because I'm a Jonas Brother too. And da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, So the the show Claim to Fame sees relatives of famous people living undercover with a number of other housemates. But they have to conceal their identity uh, of the famous relative in order to stay in the game. And then there's kind of, they're given clues. And they've kind of, it's like, you know, kind of uh, guess who. They got to kind of. Yeah, the p- clues are peppered around into the conversation, or they're given clues, and they've got to kind of guess. So they'd be like, "Louise McSharry, your father is blah 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 blah, whatever." So uh, this actress, Carly Reeves, she appeared on this show, and so it, you know, comes to the the climax of the episode, and she's got her fellow contestant there, and he's like, "And I determine that you are related to Tom Hanks." And there's just a beat and she's like. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, no, no. Because I mean, she's out. But she she didn't deal with, you know, deal with it with good grace. And like, well, it's been fun. It's so nice to meet you all. And off I go. She had the biggest stomping toddler-esque shit bit. Yeah, it was. And and it went on. And you know, it was almost like sort of like a come down with me moment. When you see someone just lose their mind, you're like, holy Christ, this is so embarrassing. And she just had it. She was muttering to herself. She's like, the clues were so obvious. And, you know, what other film has a what other film has a bench in it? And, you know, the clues she thought they determined, like, obviously, the, obviously they're going to guess it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. So she just had a major, she threw all her toys out of the pram and it's yeah. there forever now. And you get to see all the other contestants can hear her. And just they're all like, just sitting there like, yikes. Yeah. Hugo, who do you think Carly's claim to fame is? I think your celebrity relative is... Tom Hanks. Well, let's find out if you're right. 
Everyone, please take a look at the screen. Carly, wow. he was correct. <laughs> Congratulations, Hugo. <laughs> it is Tom Hanks. <laughs> and just like that. You who boy. <laughs> Damn. These freaking clothes are so freaking obvious. drama for the first guess off on my claim to fame bingo card. I don't deserve this. I should have more camera time. I should be here longer. And we're only on guess off number one. I think the right choice was made. No one expected that. No one. But I saw she was interviewed um, about like the, mm. the fact that it's okay. gone viral okay. and uh, asked so this is from the mirror asked about her family's reaction to the scene she told us after the episode aired and all of this publicity came out about it I believe Tom probably saw what he needed to see she said I was like did you watch it and he said just enough <laughs> I'm sure that meant he's I'm sure that meant he just saw the meltdown, which is fine. The first thing he texted me was no challenges. That was the only thing he texted me. I think he was laughing about it from his tone in the message. Uh, I thought it was funny and cute that he said no challenges mm -hmm. because that's what she was giving out about was that she didn't get to do. She didn't even get to do a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. How? I mean, I feel like she's kind of loving it, though. I mean, hopefully she can parlay this into whatever she wants to parlay it into. Maybe. She, I don't know. But... I mean, presumably, if she went on the show, she wants some sort of fame. You know what I mean? Like, she wouldn't have gone on. Well, she's been plugging away. I looked at her show reel yesterday. And I mean, again, on Who Weekly, they were talking about it. They were like, she was in an iconic scene with Hilary Duff. It's not iconic to me, but in, in their canon, as they say, it, it was. Um, and she's been in a couple of Tom uh, Hanks films. So she's out there trying. And maybe she's kind of going, she's like, I'll go down the reality fame route now and that's what she's going to do. Um, but as Who Weekly pointed out and this article pointed out that Reeve's mother is a sister of Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson. So she's not biologically a Hanks. She is right. she is a Wilson. Okay. okay, well that makes sense. So they wanted to, you know, that's, point out she's from that side of the sits, family. That's it. That matches. Naturally. Yeah, yeah so that, Chet that and her chat. are kind of, they're first cousins and uh, they're, they're Wilsons. Okay, they're more that's Wilsons right. Than, yeah. you know, than Hanks's. Well, Carly Reeves, I hope you're very happy. Thank you for giving yeah. us such a monumentally entertainment moment this week and uh, one that I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. Esther Amor Donahue, you are a superstar. Thank you for coming to my house. I know, I'm delighted to be here. I actually haven't been to your house before, so well, have it's a good snoop around. Total chaos. <laughs> we will talk to you soon.
now it is just about time for me to go and I'm not gonna lie I don't have a huge amount when it comes to recommendations this week because I have just been off the walls busy um but I have been reading the new Ashling book yes if you are friends with an author you sometimes get to read the book before anybody else it's a real perk and I've been lucky enough to read all the Ashling books before everybody else well not I mean I've been a bit slow on the uptake with this one so actually some other people have read it before me but anyway I'm reading it now and it is so good and it is currently available for pre-order. I know I mentioned this last week, but pre-orders are super important to authors. So if you think you're going to read it, get on it. If you haven't read an Ashling book yet, now is the time to get yourself caught up because the book isn't out for a while, the fifth book. This is the final book. And don't you want to get in on the zeitgeist ahead of time? Don't you want to get in on the, uh, you know, the conversation, the water cooler moments? Aside from anything else, honestly, and I know that Emer and Sarah are my friends, but honestly, these books are like, they're like a hot water bottle. Like they are so comforting and they're funny and they're clever and they're not like, you know, you don't have to read it with a dictionary. It's just like lovely escapism. So I cannot recommend them enough. They're available now, the first four and the fifth is coming out soon. So if you pre-order that now, you will get it straight away when it's released. Other than that, I want to recommend going to the doctor. Yes, that's right, my friends. Um, Not for like no reason, but if there's anything up with you, if you feel like something's just not 100% right, if you feel like you're not kind of firing on all cylinders, go to the doctor, ask for a blood test, just do it. Um, I have been recommending this for years because obviously of my experience with cancer, like I, I'm always going on about the fact that if you feel like something's off, you should go to the doctor, but I hadn't said it for a while. And I went to the doctor last week for a blood test because I just, my energy levels have been um, pretty low and, you know, we're going to continue to do some blood tests. I'm not, don't be worried. I don't think there's anything serious going on, but like, you know, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of it and I can actually feel a little bit better, you know? So I just want to recommend that if you've been putting it off, if it's been in the back of your head, if you've been thinking, oh, that's not really green or that's not really right, make the appointment. Just make it now. Go talk to them. You know, get a blood test. Your bloods can tell you so much and, well, can tell your doctor. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be able to read a blood test and say what it means. But uh, they can tell your doctor so much about what's going on in your body. And maybe it'll come back and they'll tell you you're actually fine. Or maybe they'll say you need to up your iron intake. Uh, You know, usually these things are easily fixed. Um, So that is my second recommendation for this week. I know it's not exactly hot or sexy. I apologize. Um, I'm hoping I'll be able to actually watch a bit of TV and see some films and read some more books over the course of the next couple of months because I'm essentially heading into hibernation and I'm thrilled about it. Don't forget though, I will be here every week. Uh, I will be back with you next Friday with more news and interview and catch up in general. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week. If you can't have a great week, that is okay too. They can't all be great. As I always say, put one foot in front of the other and we will be together again. Thanks a million to all of my contributors and to ACAS for having me on the network. I'll talk to you next Friday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.